Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven given among men whereby we could be saved, whereby we must be saved. Aren't you glad you were buried in the name of the Lord? Had each and every one of your sins washed away, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise, thanking Him for a revelation and an understanding of who He is. I'm so glad that I've been buried in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. It is indeed a signal honor of mine to be able to stand behind this sacred desk at such a time as this. And it's such a tremendous company of angels, messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am honored to call these men friends and fellow laborers in the gospel. And it has given me such wonderful strength and help and encouragement. Iron sharpeneth iron. I have rejoiced in the Holy Ghost over what I have heard and felt from these men yielding to the Holy Ghost in this meeting. I can't tell you how blessed you are. Hi, Mom. <laughs> The devil made me do that. <laughs> just when I got a good streak going and I'm feeling very spiritual, the devil just has to jump right in there and mess me up. At a meeting like this, I kind of feel like the 4th of July when the Roman candles are going off and the rockets are bursting in the air and beautiful floral dis displays of green and red and silver and gold. And when the last sonic boom has been made, the little kid standing over there with a sparkler. At this point of this conference, I feel like the kid with a sparkler. <laughs> but I tell you what, if all I got's a sparkler, I'm gonna wave that sucker. <laughs> yes, sir. I listen to these brethren preach, Lord, the heavy anointing upon them and the ability and the speed at which they preach. I feel like a Volkswagen at the Indy 500. <laughs> Men that I've been preaching with here in this meeting, they... I hope you appreciate the kind of caliber of men that they are. They can foresee the unforeseeable. They know the unknowable, discern the undiscernible. They've been describing the undescribable, explaining the unexplainable. 
and unscrew the unscrutable. I don't know what you came out to hear tonight, but I'm going to do my best to tell you two plus two is still four. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. <laughs> There's only been one sour note in this conference for me, and that has been one brother that has been promoting some false doctrine. And he has been promoting the spirit of immolation and competition. And I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. He's uh, actually, uh, the Bible said, you know, to rebuke some folks openly that others might fear. So I don't have a problem calling names. The name is Brother Wade Bass. He's got grandbaby pictures that he's shown trying to make you believe his grandbaby is the prettiest. Don't you be looking at them pictures. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> he hasn't, must not have seen Calips and Jaron and Huntley. If he was to see them, with him, he'd understand why I feel like I feel. I want to give honor to Dad and Mom Davis. I honor them in the Holy Ghost, not just because I happen to be related to them or they're related to me, however, the, whatever the case may be, but I thank God for wonderful examples in my world and in my life. It's wonderful to have somebody you can not only love but respect and honor at the same time. I want to honor Bishop Heyman and Brother Don Heyman and the whole Heyman family. Tell you that this church is so blessed to have a man that's so fair and have men that are so balanced in the gospel. And this church has to be one of the best churches in Pentecost. You look, look at the, the orchestra, the choir, the, 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 not only the music, but the teaching, the preaching, the fellowship. I, I tell you what, I, I just hope you all don't take it for granted and just take it and feel like it's this way or better every place else. Sugar booger, it's not. You need to hang on to what you have and rejoice in the fact that God has blessed you above and beyond measure. Are you grateful for the blessings of God today? Let's thank Him for it, shall we? I'm thankful for all the ministry that I have heard the tremendous preaching. Time is getting away, and it's been, I don't want to be overly redundant here, but I too echo thanks to the Holy Ghost for what we have heard and felt in this meeting. I in, invite your indulgence tonight as I preach to you what I have been feeling on my heart for the better part of this year. And I make no bones about it. This message I have been preaching not only in my home. You know, preachers just don't go out someplace and preach something that uh, just say, well, I'm just going to go here and preach something. And, well, th there's times maybe when something like that happens. But w I wind up preaching out what I preach to my own people. And my father talked to me one time. I was feeling kind of intimidated about preaching a, a at, a, at a certain place because I was going to preach something I'd already preached before. And my father said, well, son, if you were going to have company, 
would you prefer to cook a, a recipe or have your wife cook a recipe that you try one that she had never tried before? Would you say, huh, honey, why don't you fix those, uh, that Swiss steak and that potatoes and gravy like you do and fix that pie, you know? You fix recipes that you know how to fix, that you're comfortable with. And I don't mean to say that we just get real comfortable with the, with the things of God. We always walk carefully and, and, and circumspectly in his presence. But I want I just I have to just preach it off of my system. I, I'm getting all tongue-tied standing up here, but maybe the preacher come and help me out in just a minute. Uh, we might have to push this Volkswagen around the lap one time to get her going. <laughs> Luke chapter 15. I would invite you to stand, but I have a lengthy reading here, so you might as well uh, uh, stand up in your heart, if you will. Luke chapter 15. And if you'll help me preach tonight, I want to do my best to speak to everybody in this building. If you're here for the first time and you do not really know who Jesus is, I have a message for you. If you've been here all your life and plan to be here the rest of your life, I have a message for you. If you've been here for a long time and you've been thinking about walking out of the house of God and going the way of the world, I have a message for you. I want you to know that God's word finds us all wherever we are. Have you found that to be true? It said in Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants and he arose and came to his father and when he was yet a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and the son said unto him father I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son but the father said to his servant, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And everyone said, Amen. It is amazing to me the metamorphosis that some of us go through in life. And it is also amazing to me 
how we go from one frame of mind and we progress into another uh, realization of what truth actually is. I never cease to be shaken by the uh, delusion that some people can get in and be bothered by the fact that they seem to be so complacent and feeling like they are making right choices and decisions about life. This young man approached his father and his first words were, give me. After he had been gone and after he had been to the bottom, as it were, and he had suffered uh, severely and gone through loss of his respect and loss of his uh, inheritance and loss of everything valuable and important to him, he came back with an attitude change. And instead of saying, give me, he came back home saying, make me. And I'm grateful to tell you that there's a God who never gives up working on us. Be grateful of the fact that God doesn't stop working on you. If you will appreciate in this whole chapter, this whole chapter has to deal with a thing called home. I am wanting tonight to preach to you on this subject, the unattractiveness of home. The unattractiveness of home. I will lay all my cards, as it were. I don't know how to play cards, but I'm going to lay all my cards out on the table. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to try to preach it. And then I'm going to try to tell you what I preach to you. I want to preach about the unattractiveness at home. I want to preach about the undesirableness of home. And I want to preach about the unimportance of home. When home becomes unimportant, it becomes when it becomes un unattractive, it becomes undesirable. And when it becomes un undesirable, it becomes unimportant. Would you pray with me tonight that God would bless me and anoint my mind and help me to be a blessing to this people tonight, would you? In the name of Jesus, my God, I plead the blood of Jesus over this service over my mind, over my heart. I ask for anointing upon my spirit. I pray, God, that you would be pleased to use me for your glory. Have your way in this service. Speak to hearts. I pray, oh God, that the Shekinah glory of God would have free course in this service. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. <clears throat> the story that we find here in the 15th chapter of Luke, it tells the story of the sheep that was lost. And it was said of the shepherd that he locked up the ninety and nine and he went out into the wilderness and he sought until he found it. I want you to understand that there is a God who keeps looking for you and will search for you till he finds you. You need to be grateful to the day that you die that God has never given up on you. Be thankful for the fact that there's a God who hasn't given up on you. If it was left up to us, sometimes we would think we would give up on some folks, but I'm grateful that God has never given up on us. And then I would point your attention to the woman who swept the house. She had lost a coin.
and she had to empty about everything out and light a lamp and say, I'm going to sweep until I find it. She wasn't going to give up on it. I would like to make her a type of the church who doesn't give up on folks. Not only is there a God who doesn't give up on you, but you need to be grateful that Calvary Apostolic Church hasn't given up on you. That they've prayed for you when you've had your problems. They've been a friend to you when you haven't been doing right and acting right and living right. You need to thank God there's a place where you can come when you need help and you need hope in the sanctuary. There's a place where you can come. Thank God for what we have right here in Denver, Colorado. And I would tell you that the prodigal son didn't give up on himself. You got to have an understanding that things are better at my father's house. Praise God. The unattractiveness at home. Let me talk about this. You know, one time my, my dad was hitchhiking. And daddy told the story about hitchhiking one time. And he got stranded in one place. And he actually got out and hitchhiked on both sides of the road. I don't care which way I go. I just went out of here. It's in my blood. What happens when home becomes unattractive? Well, let's talk about this. Boy, no one ever vacations here. This is the dullest place. They roll the sidewalks up in this town at 8 o'clock at night. All we do around here for entertainment is yawn. <laughs> Why, at my house, the most commotion you hear is the grandfather's clock going tick-tock. Every time you try to sit down, there's shawls and knitting needles here and there. And smells like mothballs all over my house. We put, you hang your coat up in the closet when you leave, your coat smells like mothballs. Boring. Man, I can't wait to get out of this place. I had a lady sit at my desk one time and she said, when I was working for H&R Block, and she sat there, she said, as soon as I get my refund check, I'm going to Tahiti, and I'm going to drink pina coladas till I run out of money. She said, I'm sick of South Bend. I just went out of town. Well, after a while, home doesn't look quite as attractive as the exotic places of the world. She said Tahiti is the most exotic place in the whole wide world. If you've never been there, you ought to go and drink, to, drink pina coladas till the sun goes down. <laughs> Tell you, the devil keeps running right in there and get. Strange how a lot of kids grow up just waiting for the day when they get old enough to leave home. I can't wait till I'm 18. And when I turn 18, I'm going to blow out the candles and Jack, I'm out of here. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more. I think that's an old choir song. I'm not sure. But I think Tim Spell used to sing that. I can't wait to leave here. I am sick of home. I can't wait to get out on my own and 
I, I just, I'm sick of people telling me what to do and how to dress and how to live and how, when to get up and when to go to bed and I'm sick of chores. I just want out of here. Somehow, and here's what I want to deal with. I want you to know I've, we had a situation in my church that, that birthed this message in me. That's why I'm preaching this. You're just getting the overflow from the cup to the saucer. You're just getting what's in the saucer. All right? But why is it that the devil doesn't let us understand something spiritually that we can understand naturally? What about words like hometown? Hey, they're from my hometown. Those folks are from my home state. This, man, tell you what, this is just like home cooking. Now, these vegetables, sir, are homegrown. In this restaurant, these pies are homemade. The wait, that means the waitresses get up in the morning and bring them with them when they come to work. That's why you folks need ministry to explain things to you. We use words like, hey, that's my homeboy. That's my homies. I see y'all know what homies is all about. What about the home court advantage? We understand those things in the secular world. I've heard idiots tell me, well, I want to go where I'm not known and start all over again. Well, what about the home court advantage where they root for you? They know all your problems, but they love you anyhow. And they're praying for you anyhow. And they're pulling for you anyhow. Don't you listen to that dirty devil when he tries to jerk you away from your home. a home what makes a home is who's there what makes home for me is mom and daddy's there I've lived in lots of places I went to 25 schools growing up I've lived in one more than one home but you know what made a home is who was there you know what makes Calvary apostolic a home it's who's here you got the Holy Ghost here God sent a man here that made home you got a church here. You got God meeting with you here. This became home for you. This is where you were birthed. This is where you were nursed. This is where you were nurtured. This is where you were fed. This is where you were cared for. This is where you learned to walk and grow and mature in the Holy Ghost. This place is home to you. Brother, brothers Haman have provided a home here for holiness. They provided here a home for worship. They provided a home for old time principles and old time doctrine and Acts 2.38 message. You ought to thank God we got a place called home right here in Denver, Colorado. I kissed my wife goodbye, or my daughter goodbye. I'm at the mall 
going to go on home. I said, okay, honey. Uh, beat me as soon as you get home. Call me as soon as you get there. I want to know you're safe. There is a certain security about home. There's no place else. May not be secure at the mall or out downtown, but when you get home, okay, well, I can go to sleep now. They made it home, all right. My mama is in California. I am headed for the double nickel. I don't mean speed limit. I mean age. I'm headed for 55, ladies and gentlemen. And my mama still watches me cross the street. Make sure I get there safe. Okay, honey, now you call me when you get there. I couldn't sleep till I knew you was all right. What is it? That's home talking to you. Nobody else cares a flip nickel about me, but home cares about me. I'm glad there's somebody cared for my soul. I'm glad somebody cares whether I live, die, sink, or swim. Thank God for a church. Thank God for a pastor. Thank God for folks that love me enough to care about my soul. Well, I tell you what. You don't understand, Brother Ballesterro. Home is unattractive because there's nothing attractive about obedience to them. There's nothing attractive about submission. Do you understand in my town, my daughter got married last October. See, September, October, no wonder. Uh, I think it was. And... Uh, we, we went to a oneness Jesus name church in the area because they had a center aisle, C-E-N-T-E-R. <clears throat> Probably was S-I-N-N-E-R because they had gotten to the point where girls in shorts took up offerings on Sunday morning. It's a good way to increase the volume of money that you give. Of course, some of the people may think they're one of those dance places in uh, <clears throat> they had men in shorts teaching the young people's class all summer long last summer my boys got there to set up the platform for the wedding and they said no pulpit here did you all have a wedding or a drama or something you took the pulpit out they said oh no brother Ballestero they said last April that would have been a year ago they said we had a move of God come through here and the first thing we did is just take the pulpit out and we've had a move of God ever since. And I said, L, I'll be. I have been in some marvelous moves of the Holy Ghost and it never once dawned on me to take the pulpit out. It never entered my pea picker to take the pulpit out of the sanctuary. My God, I'm fighting to keep the pulpit in the sanctuary. What they wanted, they wanted to take the word of God out. They wanted to take pastoral authority out. They wanted to take submission to the man of God and the word of God out of the pulpit. We all have ministries. So we're equal. You're not above me, so take the pulpit out so I won't have to worry about submitting. And as long as that pulpit's there, then home's not attractive. But it becomes more attractive when you take the pulpit out because I can live like I want to live and do what I want to do. 
you're going to find Ichabod written on the door of the church. I'm not talking about something I heard about. I'm talking about something I saw with my own peat pickers. You know, you ever go to somebody else's home? You say, this is so homey here. You've made it so homey. I just feel so comfortable. Sit down and make yourself, oh, thank you, believe it well. Did you ever go to somebody's house and, oh, you're, you're afraid to touch anything, you know? Uh, can I say something right here to my mother-in-law? Don't worry about me, Mom. I'm very straight. <laughs> just, just making a plane, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nowadays, you... You worry about a lot of folks. Somebody said I run off with another man. Somebody lied on me. I'll just tell you that right now. But you make yourself comfortable because you feel at home. My daddy always said I wouldn't have any furniture in this house I couldn't put my foot on. I've been some places I'd be afraid to put my foot on. You know, they have some of the rooms where you just look at. You don't sit in them. You just look at them. Oh, that's a pretty room. Yeah, we, we use it just to collect dust, actually, is what we use it for. Everybody going to hate me tonight. I just... You can tell when some folks aren't comfortable. Come on here, you, you, you need a pillow to put your arm on. Boy, you know, whatever, whatever ails me, my mama thought food was a cure-all, you know. You feel bad, honey? Here, have some food. You feel good? Well, here, have some food. And just whatever, just <laughs> food and comfortable and just, oh, just sit down here and just waiting on you and fussing with you. And my mother-in-law was the same way, just hospitality just running out the ears. Let me tell you, I have seen folks get fidgety when they didn't feel comfortable in my house. But also I've seen them uncomfortable in the house of God. You can tell when folks get uncomfortable. When you preach about holiness and they get uncomfortable, you can tell that they're not at home with holiness. When you preach about Jesus' name baptism and they start fidgeting, you can tell they're not at home because they're not comfortable. When you start preaching about worship and some folks get uncomfortable... You know, I, I told a lie one time, and I had to repent over it, all right? Would you all like to hear what the lie was I told? I told a, a, a bald-faced lie, meant to do it. This will be the last time I ever get to preach anywhere. They invited me to preach a little meeting one time at some, some church in a, in a state east of here. And uh, I walked up on the platform, and there was two guys that looked like they were just fresh from, <clears throat> well, they looked like they just rolled off a freight train, basically. And, I, and they called themselves preachers. And I shook one's hand, and I said, how you doing? My name's Bill Davison. I pastor a little Trinitarian church down the road. <laughs> and to the, the next guy beside him, I didn't even shake his hand. I just walked up on the platform. When he sat down, I sat down beside him. Never said a word to him. Man, 
they got to shouting and running the aisles, just having big church. And I leaned over to this guy I hadn't spoken to, and I said, is all this stuff necessary? All this worship and shouting noise, is all this noise necessary? He just looked at me, smiled, kept on clapping his hands. That first guy that I said my name was Bill Davison, he got up and he preached one God to the world look level. The second guy got up, and when it came his turn to testify, he testified. He said, somebody said, is all this necessary? He said, yes, it's necessary. (laughs) And then they introduced me to preach. I don't know why they didn't hang around the fellowship after church. I don't know why, but... And I, as I told you, I had to repent for that. But they just looked like they needed something to preach about, testify. And I was trying to help them, and that's the best way I knew how. I want you to understand one thing, that there are some folks that have problems with standards. They're not at home with standards. They're not at home with revival. They're not at home with pastoral authority. They're not at home with witnessing. They're not at home with worshiping. They're not at home with holiness. We're living in a day when folks have forgotten about what brought them to where they are. I would tell you that there's a man on the radio in my area. He got on and said, he's a black man, a bishop out of Chicago. Mitchell was his last name. He said, just because you got a charter don't mean you got a church. He said, you bunch of bubble-eyed devils over there. He said, I want you to know everywhere, everywhere, he said, the, the hymn lines is going up and the standards is going down. But over here, he said, the hymn lines is going down and the standards is going up. <laughs> Call them bubble-eyed devils. Please understand one thing, that there is a joy in my heart to know that I still feel at home with the old time past, with the old time preaching, praying, singing, shouting, just like they preached it to you when you came in years ago. We're not selling it down the road with a charismatic bunch, but we're thanking God we're still at home with this old time message. We're not trying to see how much we can get away with. We're not trying to see how much we can take off, but we're trying to see how much closer we can get to the Father. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. The unattractiveness of home. They've sung songs about home in the secular world and they've sung songs about home in the religious world for years. You old cowboys sang songs, don't fence me in. I want to get away from home. Some lame brain said, go west, young man. And that's why you got so many folks in rush hour at Denver, Colorado. Frogman Jack sang on Brother Rush Limbaugh's program. Ain't got no home. Ain't got no job. I, that's why I don't, I'm not requested to sing here, you understand? <laughs> and then there's that dear song of the church, Take Me Home, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, to the place where I belong. I like that old song, it's good to touch the green, green grass of home. They'll all come to see me. Then we have that song, Dear to My Heart, Back Home Again in Indiana. 
Yes, sir. The house of God, we sing such songs as come home, come home. We sing home, sweet home, home, sweet home. We sing coming home, coming home, never more to roam. There is something about home that's like a magnet in our very bosom that draws us back to where we were born. I do remember when I have gone to... Uh, to uh, Oregon where I was born there in Oregon City just a little burb out of Portland about 14 miles there I was born on a street called Malala it's named after some Indians and uh, I was born in, in, in a house there my grandma's house they have since taken that house and moved it one block over and one block back and, and about two or three houses in I have stood out there in the rain and handed somebody a camera said here take my picture this is my home this is where I got my start. This is where I was born right here. They say, well, you're getting all wet, so I don't care. This is my home. Take another picture of me. Okay, now, now here, now, now take this one. Now turn the camera this way. Okay, now do it this way. Now, now get, get, get the car in, okay? Now, honey, you stand here. Well, my hair's getting wet. I don't care, honey. We'll, we'll blow dry it a little bit, but right? This is my home. Well, we were going to go uh, over here to the, to the coast today, 100 miles away. It's not raining over there. I know the ocean's beautiful, but home means something to me. And you better realize that there's a difference between vacation land and home. Oh, there may be lots of places to go sightseeing, but you come home and say, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. You can sleep in the, some of the most ritzy motel room and hotel rooms around the country, but oh, what a joy it is when you get in your own Ooh, bed at home. Do you know that there are some people that have found home unattractive? I, I want to ask you a question. What made home unattractive to you? Was it holiness? Was it worship? Was it pastoral authority? Was it paying tithes? Was it somebody else getting a job that you wanted? Was it somebody else getting to play the organ, the piano, teach you Sunday school class, be an usher? I'm not trying to meddle here in somebody else's affairs. But I tell you what, as a pastor, I've seen people let little thoughts run through their mind. And all of a sudden, home is not near as pretty as it used to be. You better learn to rebuke some thoughts that can run through your forehead and through your head and say, God, I don't care what happens. I want to stay in love with home. Son, as long as you put your feet under my table and your head's underneath my roof, you're going to do what I say. And I've heard the speech. One time, and I was 21 and preaching, and it was the year I married my wife. Lord, I miss her. I come back from some revival, and I was standing there in the living room. Mama was sitting at the table on a Monday morning doing the bills and whatever. I was leaned up against the the wall there by the door going into the kitchen just talking to her and evidently you, you know how when you have a horrible accident sometimes your mind just blanks out and you forget about certain things that's evidently that's what happened because I had evidently answered short back to my mother said something and, uh, that I shouldn't have said and I, I've always done my best to be respectful to my mother and father but my daddy didn't like 
my retort, my answer to my mother. Now, my dad has never been mean, ugly. I always saw the gentle, kind Carl Ballesterel. But this time, he came out of nowhere, faster than Superman. He took his left hand, mind you. All this is going through my mind while I'm hanging up there beside the wall. He took his left hand and with left hand raised me up off the floor. And so I'm standing there looking like this. And he doubled up his righteous fist. And he said, if you won't respect her, your mother respect her as my wife. I said, yes, sir. Well, after he explained it to me like that, well, then I had a better understanding of the importance of... All folks need is just explain to them sometimes, you understand. Maybe if home is unattractive to you, maybe I ought to talk and maybe we ought to discuss the unattractiveness of the drug scene. Maybe we ought to discuss the unattractiveness of prostitution. Maybe we ought to discuss the unattractiveness of runaway teens and HIV and the divorce courts and lung cancer and all of the stuff that the devil's going to give to you when you leave home. You don't know how safe you are here. You don't appreciate how protected you are right here. My God, we're not trying to keep you from enjoying life. We're just trying to help you have a good life in God. I pray God give us all a revelation of home. Moses chose home. He refused because the son of Pharaoh's daughter said, I know my mama told me what home was. David wanted to drink from home. There's no water like home. Can I, can I tell you something? This is just ballesterol, so don't take this as as anything graven in iron and let me just say this much no, no matter how wonderful all these ministers are and no matter how hard we try to preach them on the Holy Ghost should we say anything contrary to what the pastor teaches you, don't, you forget what we say this is the man that answers to, uh, for you to God for you yes it is and if he hasn't passed judgment on say okay folks this is the way it's going to be then thank God for an open pulpit where we can stand up and preach what we feel in our hearts but that's still the man that lays it down in black and white amen you understand that I tried to tell my father how things were in another home down the street one time he said if you like it there why don't you go there I decided this was the better deal. <laughs> yeah, dude. I got a book one time called Emotional Intelligence. I decided I didn't have any of the other kind. I thought maybe I'd try to see if I had any of that. And uh, I got to page 14, and that's all the further I've made it in that book, and I've had it almost a year. I'm a slow reader. I got there and I found out what I wanted and I just closed the book and said, that's all I needed out of that. Thank you very much. 
It probably so I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to recommend it because I don't know what else is in there. Y'all, y'all understand. But the doctor that's writing this book on emotional intelligence, and I won't go into all, all the, this is not a, um, an infomercial here for him. Uh, what, I, what I was taken by is that this doctor says there are two brains that we have. One brain thinks and one brain feels. And he says, it's possible for one of your brains to hijack the other brain. Well, I've been knowing that for years. There's been times I've seen some folks, both of them got hijacked. There are people who say, when the brain that feels that's got emotion, that experiences love or hate or rage or anger. It hijacks the brain that thinks and that reasons. And it just takes off and does whatever it wants to do. And so these people say, I don't know why I did what I did. That's not like me. I I plead temporarily insane. Because the brain that feels hijacks the brain that thinks. And the times when... The brain that thinks hijacks the brain that feels. They call those kind of people cold-blooded because there's no emotion. The brain that thought, it just squinched out and squashed out all the feeling and all the emotion, and they just operated like a machine, and that's why they do things in cold blood. They just don't feel. Well, if I can understand that in the natural then let's understand, let's look at a spiritual sense. Let me then appeal to your brain tonight that thinks. And let us think about some things that God has done. Let's say that this is a home. Let's say this is God's home. You talked about the pulpit today. Let's say this is God's home. And the Lord says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This is my home and I'm going to beautify my home with flowers. Flowers. I'm going to plant me flowers. So I think I'll plant one daffodil and uh, one petunia and one iris. Yeah, that's enough. No, have you noticed? My Lord, when my wife plants uh, marigolds, there's marigolds from Cape Cod to Hickory Bend. Just everywhere. She don't just plant one. There's a whole bunch and they all look the same. Just bukus. A wholesome bunch. Just 
Gobs. Y'all know what gobs are. Just gobs. Brings them out of the van or the car in flats. Man, she's out there on her knees. Here, honey, help me do this. Well, that's not my burden. I like to look at them, but Lord Jesus. Buy them kind that don't ever die. Just stop them down in there. So they plant all these flowers. What are you talking about? Just one, then a whole bunch. Well, sometimes, oh, I can't be used here because some, there's somebody else blooming just like me. Oh, well, there's, more, there's two piano players. Oh, I better go someplace else where there's no piano player. That's, that's, that's. Well, watch, watch, watch this. So you plant. The planter, the gardener, he plants. I got all these seeds down here. Going to plant them all. We're going to grow. We're going to have a flower garden. We're going to beautify my house with all these beautiful gardens. Whew. Pass your hand over them flowers. Mm. Oh, smell that. Smell beautiful. Smell like plastic. Nice. <laughs> so here's a little plant. It's coming up out of the ground, and it's getting ready to bloom, and it's getting up there, and it's getting its prayer. My daddy said, son, if you knew how you looked, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, I'm getting ready to bloom. Oh, Lord, I'm getting ready to bloom. Here I come. I'm blooming. Oh, oh. You see now why I never took any acting classes. And about the time you get ready to bloom, somebody, oh, oh, alert, alert. Here, here's a flower. Get ready to bloom. Hurry up. Let's snap it up out of there and go plant it someplace else and let it bloom over here. Let me tell you something. The gardener, when he begins to plant, he takes into consideration, what kind of soil is this? Is it alkaline? Is it sandy? Is it muck? What is this? What kind of soil? What about the climate? Does it freeze here? Do I do annuals or do I do perennials? My thumb is not green, so, okay. I know just enough about this to be dangerous, so don't mess with me. <laughs> is this, we're planting this in Louisiana or Indiana? Big difference. Is this going to be in California or New York? You see, there are plants that are indigenous to certain areas of the country. They have to take in consideration, is this going to be in the sun, part sun, or no sun? And the master gardener looks at each little seed, and he knows what kind of soil, he knows what kind of climate, and he knows how much sunlight or how much exposure you need and when he plants you he plants you where you grow the best and he plants you where your nourishment comes from the right kind of soil getting the proper amount of sunlight in the right kind of climate for you to mature and grow and develop to the man and woman boy or girl that you should be in Christ Jesus 
and all these lame brain idiots who would jerk you up out of the soil where God planted you, where you could grow blessed and try to plant you in another soil and try to put you in another environment. They're messing with the work of God. I said they're messing with the work of God. You're telling God I know more about how to grow this than you do. There's a reason you're here in Calvary Apostolic Church. There's a reason you're in this soil. There's a reason you're in this climate. Here it comes, I'm gonna bloom. One, two, three, bloom. At the time you start stretching out, bloom. Nowadays, we try to help folks bloom so much, we just start taking them petals and start peeling them back. Come on, let's bloom, boy. Bloom, sucker, bloom. You're going to mess up, but should be beautiful. I have a major problem with people promoting their own ministries and promoting their own self. If you have a gift, let it make room for you. Don't you make room for it. I pick up papers. Tent makers needed. Well, I reckon so. Man called my one of the young men in my church said, "I want you to come down, work with my work with my young people down here in this state over the summer. Work with our young people." Well, I had plans for him to help work with my young people. So I talked to the pastor down there. Here's the boy, already up and gone. So what do you mean fishing in my pond? Your pond's bigger than my pond. Here you are fishing in mine. There's a reason this boy's growing in my field. There's a reason he's here. Let him be a blessing. About the time you get your kids big enough, they grow up big enough. Well, I'll tell you what. I think I'm going to go to Bible school. I can preach on Bible school. I've been there. And you feel like, oh, this, this is such a spiritual place here. Don't you dare let your guard down. You know what? I almost preach against Bible schools. For, well, we got kids that go there. They turn around. They seem like they never become reestablished back under their pastor. They want to just float and go here and there and do something else all around the whole wide world. And here we are. We raise them up. We try to grow them and develop. And we jerk them up out of the field and go plant them someplace else. I don't believe that's the will of God. If you get any training, for God's sake, why don't you be man enough and woman enough to come right back home and say, Pastor, I'm ready to help you. Whatever you want me to do, if it's sweep the floor, I'll sweep the floor. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Why is it that oranges grow in Florida, but not in Indiana? Why is it the potatoes growing out of whole peaches in Georgia, magnolias in Mississippi, poppies in California, redwoods in California, vineyards over there too, tobacco in Kentucky, rice in Louisiana, peanuts in Georgia, apples in Washington, pineapples in Hawaii? And how come we ain't got no palm trees in Indiana? Because there are plants that are indigenous to certain areas. And your life is like a plant rooted 
and grounded like a tree planted by the river. God knew where to plant you. He, he, he didn't make you portable. He planted you. And when God plants you, you don't transplant yourself. You grow. You flourish. You bloom right where God puts you. And you let God promote you in his own time. We may not be running the aisles, but I'm giving you a gospel truth. I'm giving you something that may save your gizzard if you'll pay attention to putting down some roots and saying, I'm going to become established in the kingdom of God. The most dangerous thing you can do is to tell your kids, okay, now what you need to do is you look over here, you go over there, you get your job. Now you, now you move over there to this town over here or you go over there to this town and you, you, you uh, I know there's not a church there, honey, but, but thank God you got a good livelihood. Let me tell you what went on in the Old Testament. I believe it was Isaac. Went to a certain place and the first thing he did was not pitch his tent or not dig a well. First thing he did was build an altar. And then he pitched his tent, and then he dug a well. We kind of got it in reverse nowadays. Instead of the well being last, we make, see, the well is kind of like your life support. And we look for, hey, over here there's a good well. Well, yeah, there's no altar there, but there's a good well. Mister, if you want to do, keep your life biblical, you make sure the altar is first in your life. And then God will see to it that there's sustenance and there's a well for you to continue to live and to grow by to give you nourishment. Don't you make choices without the altar in your life, without the man of God in your world. You close your ears to all the beck and call of folks who would call you away from home. Tell you what, some of these guys that want to build super churches. The Bible said, "Dies a man are never full." I know one guy's got a super church running in the thousands, and he came to a little wedding not long ago. Walked in, looked around, wanted to know if anybody named so and so was there. He'd heard about somebody in that town named so and so. He was going to get try to get him to move down to his church. Lamest thing I ever heard of. Just walk in and try to get somebody to move. Well, we really need you. Yeah, and there was a flock of somebody got under 100. And they're, they're trying to have church and live for God there. And the man wants to come in like, like the story Nathan told. You know, man got a couple thousand sheep, a couple thousand lambs. And you want to come over and take his one. Somebody's going to answer to God. Unethical and unprincipled people will answer to God for how they've influenced and affected good people in the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, I can't. I've, I've got to hurry along. Time's getting away from me. I'm only on page two, and I've got to go to page four in case you're counting. Calvary, bloom here. Well, I don't understand some things. Yes, I know. It's going to rain. Storm's going to come. Sun's going to shine. It's going to be hot. You may not get watered just, just the right moment you think you ought to be watered. You may, not, you may get dug around and weeds pulled all around you. There might even be a few little blooms die beside you, get their leaves plucked off because they got dead. But you keep right on blooming. And you do your best living for God and watch God bless you because you honored the home where he put you. Why don't we just lift our hands and worship the Lord here just a minute. Praise God. Back when times are hard, 
right after the Depression. My grandpa, Turner H. Gleason. I've done some research, gone back 14 generations on the Gleason side, and uh, <clears throat> found out that there was even one Gleason that came over on the Mayflower. My mother was so thrilled to find out one of her relatives came over on the Mayflower. In the research I found out, Thomas Gleason came over persona non grata. They run him off from England instead of killing him. And that precious family trait has been in the family ever since. <laughs> Grandpa was a, he was an actor. He did one-man vaudeville shows. He was an artist. He was a wood carver. I have, I have a beautiful box. Oh, Lord. Just animals engraved. Dogs. Hunting dogs. He liked to, to do women. And uh, did a good job, by the way. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> It's a nice box. <laughs> Painted beautiful pictures, boy and girls dating, swinging, you know. Very romantic scenes, kind of dreamy looking scenes. Grandpa was very romantic. Had a bass voice, six foot two or three, big booming voice. Kind of what God had in mind when he said, let us make man. How I wound up with a tenor voice, I'll never know. But... Grandma Gleason had gone down to a little brush harbor and had gotten the Holy Ghost. Took her eight children with her and they got the Holy Ghost. But Grandpa Gleason had vaudeville and he had his shows he was doing. And he wasn't too much into it until Grandma convinced him to come to the brush harbor. He went to the brush harbor and he sat down there in that brush harbor. He watched him sing. He watched them dance. He watched them talk in tongues just like they did on the day of Pentecost. He watched them get baptized in Jesus' name, get delivered from sin. He sat there, sat back. Altar call was given. He never moved. He watched it all. They got done praying. They were packing up and going home. And Grandma walked on by him and said, Come on, Turner, let's go home. And he said, No, Flo. I think I'm going to go up there and get that same Holy Ghost just like you got. And Grandpa walked down to that old bench down at the Brush Arbor. And when he got up that night, he was talking in tongues. <laughs> baptized in Jesus' name. So it wasn't long after that, he got a registered letter in the mail. Dear Turner Hubble Gleason. From an attorney in London, England. We are pleased to inform you that the barony estate of Lord so-and-so and such-and-such -and -such, through the laws of inheritance falls to you as the sole inheritor of the barony estate worth in the Depression days $4.5 million. When $1,000 would have bought the best car in the, in the world, $10,000 would have bought anybody's mansion, $4.5 million. All you have to do is move to London, England and take up residency, become a citizen. 
for a minimum of two years. Grandpa sat down and he read that letter to all of his kids. And he said, now children, I've already made a decision in my mind, but I want to hear what each and every one of you think. Here's what's available. What do you say? Daddy, we want to stay here. What do you say? Daddy, want to stay here. He said, well, children, I want you to know there's no Jesus-named church in all of London or in England. Nobody baptizes in Jesus' name. If we go there, we don't have a church anymore. We don't have a pastor anymore. All we have is $4.5 million. And all eight children said, no, Daddy, we've got a good church right here. Let's stay right here. So Grandpa sat down, and he wrote the attorneys and says, Dear sirs, I am happy to inform you that I cannot afford $4.5 million. Thank you, but no thank you. You know who got it? Fergie got it. Diane got it, or somebody got it over there because we ain't got it. All our life, we've been brokering the Ten Commandments and happy about it. What are you saying? I am saying my grandfather made a decision that home, the home of the church, was more important than money. In a day when they're leaving the house of God for a dollar more an hour and moving across the country, I say thank you, Grandpa, for putting my mother in the house of God and giving her a home where she could give me a home, where I could give my kids a home. Once once you realize the value of home, money doesn't enter into the picture. Nothing else enters into the picture. You say, thank God for a church. Thank God for my pastor. Thank God for the man that threw me the lifeline. I thank God for home. Lord, I've got three parts here and I'm still on the unattractiveness of home. Let me tell you, when home becomes unattractive, it becomes undesirable. Samson looked around at all of the women in, in Israel and he didn't like them so he looked over there at the land of the Philistines and he said go get her oh she pleases me well he got in trouble because his eyes got off of the home girls it was said of Esau that he had strange or exotic wives and it said that they brought much heartache into his parents what happened he wasn't interested in a home girl I like what Abraham said to his servant I tell you there's no girls like the girls from home you go back there and you find me a girl from home you boys want a girl you want to marry somebody don't go looking out there in a hunky tonk don't go looking out there in the street for a wife you find somebody here at home you girls want a husband you find somebody here at home and I don't mean out of the vestibule after service I mean around an altar praying let me give you some balustrade advice if you're dating a girl and she's critical of your pastor you drop her like a hot potato if you're dating a boy and he he questions what the pastor says you drop him like a hot potato you better fall in love with somebody that's in love with home. Love with, love with the man of God. Love with the pastors. Love with the things that God has given you here. You got to come through this home to get to that home. 
And when home becomes undesirable, it becomes unimportant. I would tell you that every soldier ever been in battle, he'll fuss about the food, fuss about the rations, fuss about the barracks and the sergeant and everybody else. You get him out there on the front lines in the foxhole for a few days, and, man, he's just wishing he could get back home. Wish I'd be back in that old barracks back in my bunk. Get back there in that rack and bullets are flying overhead. All of a sudden, home becomes attractive. When Cain left home, he went to the land of Nod. We read in the, the Word of God where in the last days the Bible talked about folks that were wandering stars. There was no stability. They had left home. There wasn't any home orbit for them. It's important for young saints to get some roots and become established. Don't you just be hopping from church to church to church to church. I had a man in my church one time. He made eight different transfers just anywhere, anywhere in the United States. I just went out of Ballesteros Church. He actually tried to stare me down. For almost a year. Wouldn't blink. Just look at me. There may have been a toad in his ancestry. I don't know. Maybe an owl. I don't know. I'd get up and I'd thump him nearly every service for about six weeks. And it dawned on me all I was doing was just thumping the goats and I wasn't feeding the sheep. So I went back to feeding the sheep. You know what? I don't even apologize. I wouldn't even make eye contact with him. I wouldn't even bother looking at him. He didn't want to be fed. No point in even feeding him. Just go on and try to help folks that want help. Help folks that are in love with home. Help folks that are in love with the house of God. We went ahead and had revival anyhow. Had church anyhow. Shouted anyhow. Worship God anyhow. All you're doing is hurting yourself when you fall out of love with home. And you better be wise enough spiritually when you hear people start criticizing mama and daddy. You better realize it's dangerous to be around those kind of people. Because when you start criticizing this home here, there's not a whole lot of hope for you. This is Ballastero. And I, I tried to tell you earlier and I got sidetracked. So just, this is Ballastero saying this. I have noticed, I have observed in my neck of the woods that when people backslide, I can pretty well tell which ones have a chance to pray back through and which ones don't. The ones that leave criticizing the church and the ministry, I don't expect to see them. But the ones that leave and they say, you know, I'm my own problem. And if, the, if there's ever a church in town that preaches the truth, that's when if I go to any church, I'm going to go to this one. Amen. As soon as I get my head on straight, I'll, I pray God give me time to come back. Those kind of folks there's hope for. But if you go away mouthing about home, I don't see a whole lot of hope for you. You better make sure you don't get a wrong spirit in you. But you say, God, I want you to help me get my roots down. I want to bloom here. I want to be the best bloom in this whole field. I don't care if there's 99 more just like me. I'm going to bloom because you planted me here. I decided I was going to run away from home one time. Is that hard for you to imagine that? I was seven. I, I matured young. And I told my mother, just frankly, just, you know, between adults, I said, I'm running away from home. She said, okay, honey. And so she helped me pack my suitcase. Thank God for good mothers. So I got all my clothes in that little suitcase. 
A teddy bear wouldn't fit. Oh, how I miss my teddy bear. I got my little hand on that suitcase and squared my broad shoulders. Mother said, no, okay, honey, before I kiss you goodbye. She said, since this is going to be your last time here at home, she said, I just want to take you through the home here and show you home one last time. <laughs> well, even though I was running away from home, I was still kind of respectful, you know. So she took me over to her bedroom, and she opened the door and said, honey, said, here's where your mommy and your daddy sleep. Why don't you take a look at this is our bed. This is where you used to come in the morning, get your good morning sugars. You won't ever see your mom and daddy's bed anymore. I just wanted you to. I looked at that. And she walked me down the hall to come to a little room. She said, now here's where your sister Carlene and your sister Beverly sleep. There's little Beverly there. She's all sickly. Carlene's at school. It wasn't at school. She was just a baby. She's in the other room. That's where it was because she was only about two. Here's your little sister, Beverly, very sickly. And say goodbye to her. You'll never see her again. Went down to the kitchen. She said, here's where Mama cooks at the stove. She makes all your favorite meals. And there's where all the cookies jar where Mama keeps all your favorite cookies. And she wouldn't let me take the cookie jar in my suitcase. <laughs> Now here's the table where here's that where daddy sits, the head of the table. Your mama sits right here beside him. Your sister's here and over here, and you sit down at the end down here. Take a look at this. This is the last time you're ever going to see the little place you used to sit at the table where your mommy and daddy sat. I looked at all that. She said, You won't get to eat any more meals at mama's table. Man. She took me to the living room. She said, Now Here's Daddy's chair, and here's the family Bible on the coffee table where Daddy would read, family, read the Bible for family worship. Here's where Mama sat, and there's where your sister sat, and there's your place on the couch there. Take a look at that Bible, honey. She said, you never hear Daddy read any more stories from the Bible. She said, I know you're in a hurry and you got to go, but she said, since you're not going to ever see Mommy and Daddy again, she said, you probably won't be talking to Jesus anymore either, so maybe we need to tell him goodbye too before you go. And I didn't really want to tell Jesus goodbye, but <laughs> I, I got down on my knees, and my mother's one of them kind of ladies that she, she in, in 30 seconds, she can go from zero to 60, you know, just... just she was just lost in the spirit or just gone. She is crying. And I thought she was, then I thought she was crying because I was leaving. I, I was leaving, but she was probably just having a normal everyday devotions and I wasn't wise enough to pick up on it. But she got to crying and then it made me cry. I, I, I'm hard-headed, but I'm tender-hearted. And I, I got to crying. I said, Mom, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to run away from home. I'm going to stay right here. I, I won't even get married. I'll just stay here all my life. Well, I backslid a little bit. <laughs> if you can understand that as a parent, then listen to me as a preacher. 
If you're here tonight and you're thinking about running away from home, about backsliding, about jerking up roots and going to ten buck two, let me walk you through home one more time and look at where you got filled with the Holy Ghost. This is where God washed away all of your sins and forgave you when you asked for mercy. Here is where the lifeline was thrown to you. There's the man of God that prayed over your soul and wept for you, that counseled you with all your problems. Over there, can't you still hear the water splashing where your sins were washed away in the name of Jesus, just like they did on the day of Pentecost, the only way they ever baptized in the New Testament church? That's what you got. Remember when you shouted and praised the Lord and you got lost in the Spirit? Remember that good blessing when you went down the aisle and you enjoyed the power of God? You're never going to see that again. You're going to be on some bar stool. You're going to be out somewhere yonder a million miles away from home. And I want you to remember what home is all about. While Brother Spell comes, I'm going to close with one quick story from Stories from the Heart by Max Lucado or Lucado, however you want to pronounce it. He tells the story of a woman named Maria in South America who had a beautiful young daughter, 15 years old. And she was so beautiful that she caught the eyes of all the young men in town. And they all looked at Christina and they all made eyes at her. Maria was poor, lived with a dirt floor, had no money for nice clothes, no money for a nice house. Her most prized possession as a single parent was Christina. One morning, Christina's bed was empty. When Maria went into the bedroom, that bed was empty, hadn't been slept in. She knew instantly that Christina had gone to the big city and she knew what happened to girls when they went to the big city in Brazil. That mother went through the house and gathered up all the money that she could gather. And she went down to a photographer and she said, take my picture and make me all the copies that this money here will buy. And they made print after print. And she got on a bus and she went to the big city. She didn't go to the nice side of town, but she went to the seamy side of town, to the cheap third-rate hotels, to the crack houses and the back alleys, and every public restroom and every cheap hotel in the restrooms or in the lobbies with the mirrors where she would take one of her pictures and turn it over and would write on the back. And she did that for days until her money all ran out. And in tears, Maria went home. A few days later, Christina came down the staircase in a third-rate hotel, ashamed of where she was. She went down the stairs and as she did she looked at the mirror and with shock and horror she saw her mother's picture on that mirror she snatched it up 
And in tears, she looked at her mother's picture. What in the world is this doing here? And she turned it over. And on the back was this message. Christina, it doesn't matter.